It takes a village to hold up the franchise model. It's not just the franchisors and the franchisees. We also need our partners. Join me in this episode of Franchise You, where I talk with Charlie Gibran, who is the co-founder of Gibran and Abraham, which is an accounting firm, but he also has been a Dunkin' Donuts franchisee, so he can service his franchise partners with experience. Welcome to the Franchise You Podcast, where key industry leaders provide education and inspiration. Here's your host, Dr. Kathy Gosser, the director of the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence at the University of Louisville. And welcome to another episode of Franchise You. And with me today, I have Charlie Gibran, who's the co-founder of Gibran and Abraham. Welcome, Charlie. We're glad you're here. Kathy, it's a real pleasure to be here. Thanks very much. Awesome. We have a lot to talk about. So let me tell a little bit about you first. So you are currently the co-founder of Gibran and Abraham. And after graduating from St. Joseph's, you started an accounting career with one of the big four firms. And so then you worked at two smaller accounting firms, which I think is kind of cool because you wanted to learn even more. And with that, you became interested in franchising and became a franchisee for Dunkin' Donuts and Baskin Robbins. And so you were also a multi-unit operator for several years, but then you bought them in 2003 and you sold in 2012, but oh my goodness, what you've learned. And then you started providing advisory and tax services to franchisees. And now I see you've written a book that's getting ready to be published. So let's talk a little bit about your journey. Charlie, let's start with your accounting career and how that led to becoming a franchisee. Yeah, no, it's a good start. When I was with the big four, uh, Coopers and Librarian at the time, you know, really enjoyed it. I learned in high school that accounting was really the base of all business. You know, if you knew where your numbers were, you know, you're going to be successful. So a, a career in, um, in public accounting just seemed to be the natural uh, progression. Um, being there, though, you're always working with big clients, and I seem to be inclined to learn more about smaller clients, being able to shake the hands of the owners and those type of things and actually see people succeed. Not that I wasn't doing it at the bigger firms, but uh, you know, starting a smaller firm. So that's why I moved over to the smaller firms. And I, I learned a great deal. I mean, you, you really nuts and bolts of how to run a business, successes and, and failures, and you know, what to do upon it. Throughout that entire period, though, and even as a kid, I always had interest in business. And franchising was, was one of the things because I, I still remember when McDonald's went up in our, our town. I was so excited to see the Golden Arches. You know, I didn't quite know what it was. I just knew that you know, the burgers are going to be great. And um, you know, then you started to hear the stories and, and the way everything was. So I always had an interest. Went to many a franchise show in and around the Philadelphia area, but never pulled the trigger. And it wasn't until 2003 that a partner and I, um, you know, basically uh, said, hey, maybe we want to venture into this. And uh, we did. We made a phone call to uh, a local business broker. And, uh, you know, with a twinkle in his eye, he said, after going over a couple of things, he said, I know just what would be great for you guys, you know, Dunkin' Donuts, Baskin Robbins. And, you know, there's a lot more due diligence that went into it. But, uh, you know, we left that day and I said, I like donuts. My partner said, well, I like coffee. You know, what I say in my book um, is, you know, you have to have a passion right. when you pick that uh, industry. And we did. Fortunately, it took us two years to, uh, um, you know, find our first store. But we did open successfully in 2005 in an inline store that uh, did very well. And then two years later, uh, in the middle, that one opened during tax season, just so you know. And, uh, and then 2007, we opened a um, standalone store that opened tremendously, uh, a great success. And uh, again, in the middle of tax season. So <laughs> it was a crazy, uh, crazy time to kind of, you know, continue running my accounting firm, which we started in 2003 and, uh, and, and, and then try to run, you know, two major stores. 
Okay, so let me get this straight. You actually had your accounting firm and were a franchisee at the same time? Yes. Oh, my land. Yes. <laughs> and, and I had to smile at something you said because a colleague of mine who leads our accounting department always says to me, you know, everybody needs accounting. And so you just solidified that. Oh. So I hope my friend Mike Wade heard that. <laughs> that. That was great. So what were some of the benefits of being a franchisee? Well, you know, it's like anything else. Um, the, for the franchise, it gives you a playbook exactly how to be successful. Now it's up to you to follow the playbook and there's going to be, you know, have to adapt to some changes and things. You obviously have traffic counts and, and patterns that change things, uh, employee availability. Uh, you know, I was fortunately close to a high school, mm-hmm. so I had, uh, you know, a good afternoon uh, you know, team that would join us and fortunate enough to have some pretty good uh, morning people that would allow for. And then obviously, you know, the products, you know, if I tried to open up a restaurant or a donut store, just go with that one. Um, you know, I'd have to learn how to bake. I'd have to learn, you know, how to decorate. You know, do I put two ounces of cream in or is it three? Price it out properly and then do all the marketing, research and development. It would be a nightmare. Mm-hmm. But here, you know, I had a whole back office at the time in Braintree, uh, Massachusetts, doing all that for me. And when the products launched, they told me how to bake it and, you know, how to market it. And then I just had the hope that everybody in the Philadelphia area who would pass my store would like that one. But I also was surrounded with, you know, whatever it was, uh, another, uh, you know, 450 stores in the Philadelphia area that, uh, you know, if I needed help, um, you know, the franchise community sticks together for the most part. That's right. You know, I mean, we are competitors, but we're not really. So, you know, if I had a question, you know, many times, you know, a guy would come down and sit in my store and we talk about uh, the percentages and how my payroll percent was right. And, you know, just general business discussions because, you know, he had done, done it for many years. Um, the one guy that we had to come down. You know, sharing best uh, practices is one that was very, very, very helpful. Oh, I can see that. I hear that so often is that the franchise world really takes care of each other. And I have seen that myself. So when you were a franchisee, what was the most challenging aspect? I I think whenever you have a business, it's always going to be, you know, putting your team together. Um, You know, we were fortunate because, as I said, we had some mixture of older people and some younger people. But I think just making sure that that runs well. When you're not there, and because you can't be there 24 hours a day, um, is it, that was probably the most difficult thing. You know, ordering and you know getting the customers through that was challenging, but a thrill. You know, mm-hmm. if we had a line of 10 cars, you know, I couldn't wait to be you know out there trying to get everything you know solved. But you oh, know, yeah. putting the team and make sure you're staffed properly that was that was a problem. You know, there were many times you know we we'd hire you know what we thought were really good people. Only to find, you know, after training them for you know two three weeks that uh, we see on the camera they're sitting on the floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the phone. No ambition, just they're there just to get a check and, you know, they weren't there long. But, you know, I think that's what many businesses today suffer from. They can't get the, the right people. What I learned, one of the things was a uh, phrase was uh, aces in their places. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if you could put the, you know, good people in the places that need to be, um, you know, manned by them, then you're going to be successful. But that was probably the most challenging. And I think that continues today for everyone. You've hit the nail on the head with that one. So what prompted you to sell your units? With every uh, franchise, there comes a time when you need to remodel. Mm-hmm. So ours was on the first uh, store was you know coming around that time. And also at the time, my partner had a child going to college and my, my kids were ready to go to college very soon. So we said, all right, you know, is this a good opportunity to test the market? And that's what we did. Made a couple of phone calls and a couple of guys saying, you know, they said, no, yeah, we'd love to put them in our, our portfolio. And, uh, you know, we said, uh, in, in words of my partner, give us an offer that we can't refuse. Gotcha. <laughs> and uh, they did. And we looked at each other and we said, it was a sad day. You know, I'm, I'm not going to tell you I didn't shed a tear. 
Mm -hmm. um, because you really, it was a, it was a family, you know, mm -hmm. all the people we had and um, some were, um, you know, very surprised that we did, but it was the right time and we, we moved on. And, and that's what everybody has to realize that, you know, you open a business, everything has a lifetime. It's going to continue, but in your lifetime, you have to figure out what's the next steps and next phases and, and being able to move to the next chapter is uh, sometimes hard, but it's, uh, it's part of the, uh, the process. But you took all that experience with you. But before we stop talking about your career for a moment and go on to your company, I really want to talk about this. I read that you have been a referee. Oh my gosh, you have to tell us about that. That tells us a lot about you. Yeah. Well, again, it's 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 process that I didn't realize was franchise in, in essence because you know when I started the first, um, I just wanted to touch a football again. I was not a very good player in high school. But to be on the field, being around the kids, it was just yeah. something. So in 91, I reached out to uh, one of the local athletic directors and I said, how do you do this? And he put me in the right direction. I took a test and, uh, you know, next fall I was, uh, was on the field with all these little kids under the lights. I said, my gosh, this is great. I felt like I was, I was a kid again. Friday night uh, lights. There yeah, you were. That was me. And, you know, one thing led to another and I kept uh, progressing year after year. And, uh, you know, I'd work probably 70 little kids games a year. And, uh, and then finally I broke it into high school, uh, had a good career at high school level. 2005, I did a, a state championship, um, wow. in Pennsylvania. And I thought that was the greatest thing. And my wife yeah. said, well, what's next? And she said, uh, I said, college. And she said, really? You sure? I said, yeah, let's, uh, yeah, that would be the next step. So I, I had, uh, a few people that I knew and they, uh, they put me in the right direction for that piece. And I progressed. And in 2010, I got bumped up to Division One AA in the Northeast Conference. Wow. And then the following year, I got bumped up to the uh, Colonial Ivy in the Patriot League. And I had a ball. I can literally. imagine. You know, I, was, I got yelled at. I got run after. But I saw some, some great games. And uh, as one of my, uh, my colleagues, an older guy, told me after, as I retired, he said, uh, you got to places that people only wish they could be. Oh, and, uh, Charlie, and, that's uh, great. Yeah, that was pretty good. So I never got to the Uni University of Louisville. I really wanted to, but uh, never got that, that to that level. <laughs> ah, that's a cool story. And I have to yeah. smile when you talk about being yelled at, because I can imagine as a tax accountant, that happens as well. <laughs> so, um, let's talk about your tax and advisory firm, Gibran and Abraham. You do more than just accounting. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your company? Yeah, sure. So, you know, again, at first in 2003, I started the firm, just uh, me and one other person. And, uh, you know, at that point, I came out of a, the larger firm and the two smaller firms that we primarily did a lot of audits. Mm. And, uh, you know, what you did when you had an accounting firm at that point in time was you do taxes too. So I started to build a 1040 practice. But then once we sold our Duncans, we got the people who purchased them uh, the buyers became my clients. So uh -huh. right off the bat, I got 14 new new clients. It was actually a win-win situation. Yeah. And at that point, then, you know, I started to, you know, touch base with other people, other franchisees, and also stayed within a Duncan world. And a few years later, again, another, you know, a few more. And then a couple other franchisees uh, and franchisors came on. And before I knew it, uh, I had a whole bunch. So, mm -hmm. you know, now today, I think we service over, um, I see 50, so, eh, probably about 200, you know, stores of wow. different varieties. And it could be some, you know, daycare centers, landscapers, um, you know, fitness centers. You know, we, we have a lot of experience. So, um, and really it's, you know, accounting, go back to what we said, it's the, uh, it's the base of all business. Um, so what we try to do is not just do the numbers, you know, bookkeeping is a, is a big piece of it. Planning is another large, uh, you know, piece of what we do for our clients and strategy. Mm -hmm. So when you open up a franchise, 
you may have come out of a, a big corporate setting, or you may have come in from no experience at all, and you're being exposed to the playbook, as I referred to earlier, but uh, you've really never been experienced or exposed to anything that you're going to run into. So, you know, with the experience that we have, you know, we try to parlay that into, you know, giving them strategies and, you know, best practices all the way, you know, from the, you know, before the door opens, you know, best way to open the uh uh, organize your business to how to set up your books. You know, obviously I'm not a lawyer, so I can't talk about leases, so to speak, but I can tell you what, you know, I look for in some leases. I can tell mm-hmm. you what you should look for in your, your franchise uh, documents, just to make sure that you're aware of certain things. Cause they're, they're, uh, they're a lot alike, but they're a lot you know different at the same time. Right. There's mm-hmm. always a little, uh, you know, you, I looked at one earlier and um, you know, a couple months ago and uh, there was a, a computer fee. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Well, the computer fee was $600 a month. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those little things add up. So, it, if you don't you know, look at all the line items within the document, you're going to realize once you open the doors that, uh, wow, there's before I even bring dollar one in each month, there's going to be, you know, three, four thousand dollars going out. That's right. So, that's, you have to be able to budget for those type of things. So, I like to say we kind of uh, allow our new clients to, you know, understand the, you know, the full circle of where everything is going to begin. And then once the door opens, you know, what they can expect. You know, that's so important because I've read a number of FTDs and sometimes there are so many fees and they look small till you add them up. Oh, yeah. And then it can become a bit overwhelming. But you also offer an outsourced CFO. Can you tell us what you mean by that? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of companies are, you know, they're right on that cusp. You know, they they have, they want some accounting help, uh, you know, bookkeeping, but they really need the sophistication of uh, a CFO. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, CFOs do, are, are not just you know, pencil pushers. You know, they, they do analysis of, you know, should we be expanding? Should we be, uh, you know, downsizing, you know, expanding our staff, you know, um, you know, how to process the inventory, how to set up the uh, just internal controls. There's a lot to it. So having that outside person, you're not having to pay the, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars that uh, a typical CFO would, would command. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, now we can say, hey, listen, we can give you know, five hours or whatever each month of this type of service. And that allows them to, you know, the, the client to you know, be able to do what they do best. You know, years ago, I, I've told this story so many times, uh, but I, I think it's a good story. Back in 1987, you know, I was on you know my my first job, and you know every day we'd sit and we'd have lunch. And at that time, we had newspapers and one of the, the USA Today and the Wall Street Journal, and we would you know pass each section around. And I think it was USA Today at that point had a um, a story about a gentleman in uh, Detroit that had a T-shirt company, and he built that company up to like a million dollars. And year after year, he just couldn't surpass that that uh, that threshold. And his friends have said, "Well, you kept saying to him, well, you know what you need to do? You need to hire a CFO and a CEO." He said, "Why would I do that? I know what I'm doing." Mm-hmm. He said, "Because you're too close. Mm-hmm. You're not looking at everything." And um, so, long story short, he did. And a few years later, it became a five million dollar company, then a ten wow. million dollar company. So. To that point, you know, what we can offer is that, uh, you know, you don't need to go out and hire that full-time guy, but you can certainly hire our services to allow us to help you analyze the numbers in a different fashion than what just your bookkeeper will uh, do. Or even your accountant, you know, the we had a situation recently where, you know, a lot of accounting firms, they, you know, hear the numbers, but they don't necessarily explain what the numbers mean. So, so now you know, you're depending on the the, the client. Uh, business owner to understand those. And he may not, or she may not really know those 
I mean, mm-hmm. did I make money? Yes. Did I, my my top line numbers higher than they were over you know last year? Yes. But you know, is are there things in the middle that you know you can do better? And that's where the CFO can come in to analyze those particular areas and therefore make you more efficient and still make more money on the same top line, or you know be able to implement things to increase the top line. Um, you know, it could be just uh, you know faster service. Uh, we'll bring in more people because you know how many people walk away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you lose three people a day, that's you know nowadays that could be twenty bucks. So right. you know, twenty bucks over you know five days may not sound like a lot, but you know, throw it out over a year. Mm-hmm. And if you have three stores, five stores, that's um, right. Now it's a lot of money in your pocket. That's right. You know, it does seem to be, especially with a growing franchise. I've heard of fractional CMOs, and that's what this is—a fractional CFO, if you will. But it makes sense because until you have the infrastructure to support a full-time person, you still need that service. Yeah. So that that makes absolute sense. You also talk on your website about optimizing the financial performance of your franchise. Are you talking about unit economics, or what exactly does that detail? It is a combination of a bunch of things. Unit economics is certainly a piece of it. You know, what we do basically is we do have a software package um, that's at benchmarking. Mm. Um, we have a couple actually, and, and we use which whatever's best for the industry that we particularly have, and then the information they have behind it. But I think it goes back to you know, looking at the uh, the numbers and why they they are what they are, um, and that helps to you know benefit the uh, unit owner for the knowledge. And then also give them some goals to work toward, um, and you know, optimizing you know those performance um, indicators will certainly allow them to you know be in a position to allow them to grow or be so, more successful. So the benchmarking is interesting because oftentimes when you're by yourself in a business, it's tough to know. Of course, you can look at the item 19 of your franchise, but talk a little bit more about the benchmarking and why you suggest that, if you don't mind. Sure. One of the things is that, again, you know, Chick-fil-A is a really good, um, and again, not a franchise, you know, you're just a, a owner, owner operator, but you do very well. But, you know, they were walking around with a um, iPad, basically, with all their information and all their statistics right there, day to day, you know, compared to the day before, week before, and all that kind of stuff. So benchmarking allows you to you know compare what your industry is looking like. So not every industry has a Chick-fil-A you know background, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're a small franchise, go back to we'll say you know maybe a sort of pro. You know, when they were smaller, you know, if there's a hundred units, they're not necessarily all talking and not giving all the KPIs that uh, you know would allow you to be best. So now if you go into you know painting contractors, just as an example. Um, and you drop that in and, and, you know, our database will have say four or 500 or 200 uh, other painting contractors. Mm-hmm. And you can compare what their cost of sales looks like, what the average, uh, you know, labor looks like. Then you have something to say, okay, well, I'm a lot lower than that. That's not good. So maybe I can raise my prices. And then if you put the geography to it, say, well, I'm in the Northeast, which is a little bit more expensive than being in the, in the Southwest versus, you know, Northwest. Yeah, you, know, you can kind of compare and contrast, and you just have something to make you better. Um, right. Sort of like having a, a business coach. Mm. A business coach holds you accountable for you know achieving certain certain goals, and in this case, you know having that benchmarking, you can set your own goals and say, okay, well, you know, this is what the average is. Am I exceeding the average on you know these certain items? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you know where am I a little deficient? So mm-hmm. that certainly gives you some place to uh, work on. Oh, yeah. And develop your own goals. That makes sense. Yeah. So you also have a franchise health check that's free to anyone on your website. 
And it's it was fascinating to me. There's four categories. You have financial monitoring, staffing, lifestyle, and franchise factors slash performance. So first of all, tell us why you developed this. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's sort of like we wanted to develop something that at least kind of sparks people's interest mm-hmm. um, to see how do I really line up with with what I think in my mind and and you know be able to you know, quantify um, my position and you know by putting those uh, those categories together and then putting you know the little components under each category to come up with a, a number to say hey this is the where we can help you. It was really basically designed for us to identify areas of concern for people and then you know areas that we could definitely be assistance to them. It's really great. We can't go through every bit of it, but there's a couple questions I want to ask you about. Sure. One is you have a question under lifestyle that when I looked at that, it made me think twice. <laughs> and it said, can your business run without you? Can yeah. you talk about that? Why that's a part of it? Well, I think that's important because at some point when you work for somebody, and the phrase always go, you know, you, you, you may make a lot of money, but you're never necessarily going to have the freedom. You know, being wealthy can be defined in a variety of ways, but time is one thing that is often a component. When you get into a franchise or open your own business in general, the whole idea is that, you know, you want to create wealth, you want to create success for your family, um, but also be able to have the flexibility to do things on your own terms. And by putting that question out there, I wanted to, or we did, we wanted to make people think that, okay, you know, does my business run by itself? I had the fortunate, um, a couple of weeks ago, I played golf with a guy and, and uh, you know, he was older, he's probably mid sixties. And he said, uh, yeah, I just hired a general manager. I, I paid him a lot of money, but you know, right now the company's running really well. And, you know, I really don't need to be there, you know, five days a week. So, you know, if I can put the right people in place mm-hmm. and pay them more and still make money, then I'm doing a good job. And, you know, same thing here with this question. It's like, you know, everybody always still has to touch, touch the business a little bit um, because it's, it's still your baby. But I think if you can, you know, determine if you're being successful by the amount of time you have to be there, then that, that's why we put the question there. It's yeah. a great question. It made me think. And then you also <laughs> had two points on return on investment for business and marketing. Can you talk about those, please? Well, the marketing is very easy, and it's, it's exactly what we do in, in the accounting world. You know, we, uh, um, you know, sort of like, you know, there's so many different philosophies that we can make it work. We can do it for you, all those type of things. But, you know, if I'm paying $2,000 a month, but I'm getting one client that pays $600, what's my return on investment? Uh, not good. That's so, good. you know, you, it's going to be a lot of trial and error. And, and I think what we wanted on both those is that you have to look at from the business side what the investment is. Um, versus what you're getting out of the investment. And then same as the marketing side, what am I getting out of that uh, that marketing uh, effort? Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of times, the unfortunate thing from the marketing side is, you know, things take time to build. So you can't necessarily only, you know, give it one month. Sometimes you have to give it five, six or longer right. months um, to really determine if, if you made the uh, right move. Mm-hmm. I can see that. You know, always thinking about ROI is so important. And oftentimes yeah. we don't. We just are so full of activity we don't st- step back and think about what's the real result. Yeah. 
No, I think it's important for any business. I mean, when we look at financial statements, we always look at the, uh, you know, was that the right thing? And as I said, if you're, in, if you're looking, go back to the benchmarking question. Uh, if you're benchmarking and you're looking at numbers that, you know, if your numbers don't really match up, well, you know, it's same with the ROI. Well, maybe I'm not doing the right thing there. What do I need to invest to make it better? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's the important thing because money spent in the right area can certainly increase, you know, the bottom line and the top line. That's for sure. So along that same vein, what are some of the optimal systems and processes that you think every franchise needs to have in place? I think, uh, you know, having a good set of uh, records, books and records, internal control um, is is really important. Um, You know, with the uh, major franchises, you know, they have the point of sale systems that they want. So um, they can tap in pretty much any time, see what Mm -hmm. you're doing. And they've built into their systems a, um, you know, protective way to ensure that all sales are being rung up. And, but, but to that point, you know, if, if, Fortunately and unfortunately, I guess, uh, you know, there's not a lot of cash in the uh, business world these days um, because everybody goes to the credit cards, right? So that certainly has eliminated a good portion of the chance of um, some, you know, fraudulent activity. Mm-hmm. But I still think you have to have the uh, the flow of information and build the infrastructure up so that, you know, everything is working well from, you know, point of sale all the way to the back office to get everything, um, you know, paid for. We go back to the question before, you know, can, can the business run by itself? You know, that's why you're doing these things. If you build up this, the infrastructure and the, um, the the flow of information, then you can pretty much ensure that by looking at any point in time, what the numbers look like, you'll see a blip. Mm-hmm. Because if it's not working well, that's why that blip is there. So I think uh, you know, the accounting side is, you know, we go back, it's, it's the base. So you want to make sure that works well. And then, um, you know, if inventory is typical, you know, for majority of franchises out there these days, there's always some, some form of inventory. Then you got to protect it because uh, that's the one thing that can walk too easily, mm-hmm. um, whether it be the pizza dough. Um, that, uh, you know, Papa John's maybe is making, or it could be the, uh, the chicken that, uh, you know, one of the, uh, other chicken places are, uh, you know, have, you know, you keep losing a box a week. It's not a lot, but it starts to add up and oh, yeah. finds it. Um, so I think that those are the things that you have to make sure you have in place, mm-hmm. start from the ground up. And, and especially when you're first opening work on those things, because now, you, you know, if the base is in place, then everything else is going to fall into place and allow you to work on the higher level types of, um, of structure. That makes sense. So we've talked about the infrastructure. Let's talk about business structure. What business structure do you think is most helpful for a new franchisee? Like what should they, what should they actually, how should they set their business up? Yeah. I, you know, it all depends. Um, there, the, uh, the sequ- there, there's a variety of things nowadays, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, you'll hear a lot of people talk, um, you know, we're going to open up a C corporation, which, you know, C corporation for the people who are not sure what they are. That's like your J&Js and your IBMs. Those are the big companies. So there's really no difference. The only difference is that you're, you're just smaller um, from a revenue standpoint. Mm-hmm. But the reason people are doing this uh, C corporations is because of the, they're using their retirement accounts to fund the operation and buy the stock. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, a very creative way to essentially shelter the the gains um, and the income from the company um, and let it grow for you know a period of time. So, mm-hmm. you know, to a certain extent, it certainly beats uh, you know putting in twenty thousand five hundred dollars a year um, as part of your your four hundred one k. So, you know, that's an attractive and interesting way to do it these days. And there's companies out there that will assist you in making sure that you're in compliance. That's right. 
If you don't have those and don't want to do that, then the next best thing is the LLC is a simple way. Um, and the nice thing about the LLC, the structure can be set up in place, but you can then elect uh, to be taxed as an S corporation, which is the other way you can set yourself up. up. So I like to tell people that they you know, set yourself up an LLC first, and then we can elect that uh, opportunity at the next level, because I think there's some a certain amount of tax planning that can go into it. Mm-hmm. Um, to switch from the LLC to the S corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, LLC has the same uh, liability protection that the S corporation or C corporation has. So you don't have to worry about that uh, mechanism. And everybody should have insurance. Um, never cut back on insurance. Make okay. sure you have a great agent. Um, you know, too many times, and I had a conversation recently with a, a client, new client actually, and uh, uh, they had an insurance situation. I said, well, did you, you know, talk to your agent about this, this, and this? He said, no, I didn't. Mm. And, and he got stuck. So, you know, a good agent should have advised uh, that person. So that's why I said, you know, depending on your business, um, you know, if you're a retailer, you know, insurance is not that important, uh, you know, structure wise, but, uh, you know, a, a good agent will make sure you're, that you are protected. But those are the three main ones, the C corporations, the LLCs and the S corporations. And each one has its advantages um, and, and not really the disadvantage, except for the C corporation is you are really not the... Uh, you're a shareholder, not necessarily right. the owner. But that's something you advise on. So that's absolutely that's yeah. good to know. So now you have written a book and it's called Franchise Fortune. So tell us a little bit about that. It, it was, um, <laughs> I used to joke around after you know certain events would happen. Yeah, it's going to be chapter 22 of the book. And uh, not knowing, I'd actually you know, sit down and actually write the book. Um, and writing a book is a lot more difficult than uh, I would have ever expected. But oh, fortunately, yeah. I've, I've had some good uh, uh, mentor uh, mentors helping me and so forth. So I think we're in the editing phase, and I'm hoping in the next month or you know six weeks or so it's going to be out. Uh, but Great. It, it's neat. You know, it, it basically you know starts off with you know a little bit about me and very similar to what we talked about, and mm-hmm. then it, it goes through each phase of you know what to do. You know. How do you, you know, what, what do you think about when you're opening or you know, picking a franchise? Um, you go back to the passion. And then we talk about, you know, what to expect during that period from when you sign the FDA to, uh, or FDD, I'm sorry, to the, um, uh, you know, opening a door. Mm. Um, you know, you have your leases, you have your, you know, zoning issues, you have permits and, you know, how to construct, things to think about. And, uh, mm. and then all the way to the point of, you know, when the door opens and then ultimately to when, uh, when you think about selling. Um, and what to think about there. Ah, oh, that's so, great. Kind of full I, can't, circle. Oh, I can't wait to get a copy of that. That's exciting. Well, that is you. exciting. Well, Charlie, you've had a wonderful career and I love how it stayed within the franchise model, just in different ways from being a franchisee to now having your own company accounting firm working with franchisees. What are you most proud of? Well, you know, I have 22 people working uh, for me. I have two partners, obviously. Um, but I think back, um, so, you know, during the days of the Duncan days, uh, I'm proud of the fact that we were able to build the two stores mm. that we had probably, you know, 75 families that we were taking care of. Um, and there's one who's still a client today. Well, uh, there's a couple who are still clients, but one that uh, he was our first employee and he's still a tax client. And then, you know, he brought his son over from uh, um, overseas and he didn't speak English, but he worked for us. And, you know, now, you know, he speaks great English and, uh, you know, another guy became a dentist. So, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, a lot of family, a lot of people that we touched. And I think, you know, now with the accounting firm having 22 people, uh, 22 families that we take care of, I, I think that is, I, I think that's what I'm most proud of. 
I think the way that you put that speaks volumes about you. So thank you for that. My last question for you is before you started your franchising journey, is there anything that you wish that you had known? Why didn't I start it earlier? Ah, I love that. <laughs> you know, you have to, uh, as I said, I never pulled the plug uh, and like, I really wanted to do it. And, you know, it was like, you know, the money wasn't there. I was young. I didn't know a lot, you know, and, and, you know, I'd learned a lot over the years in the accounting world. So that made my uh, you know transition to franchisee a l- lot easier. Um, but, you know, had I done this a little earlier, it probably wouldn't be an accountant today, but, you know, I, I may be in a different, uh, you know, different situation. <laughs> well, I think I'm glad you're, in a, you're in a great situation, Charlie. And I thank you so much. It all worked so out. good. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> thank you. Franchise U is brought to you by the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence at the University of Louisville. For more information on the center, visit business.louisville.edu/yumcgfe. Thank you for listening to Franchise U.